0: Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. So real quick again, here I am on stage. Come on up here. We have a guest speaker today. His name is Mr. Rick Benjamin. We are glad that he's here. We took advantage of this because he just became a member of our church this year. And we said, we need someone to fill in. This is trial by fire. So if anyone's looking to be a member, watch out. You're next. No. This is Mr. Rick Benjamin, we're glad that he's here. He has a history, I'll say it like that, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but with speaking on a stage at churches. So we look forward to the word today, so thanks Rick. All right, good morning everyone. We're gonna be continuing our study, 16 sermons through the Book of Romans. Uh, I'm very, very excited to have the opportunity to share God's word with you today, especially from the Book of Romans. Um, I liken the Book of Romans to that uh, stuffed animal. I don't know if you have children, but uh, my children have all kind of picked that certain stuffed animal that they love. And you can tell it because it is the most beaten up, dragged around, dirty, smelly animal that they have because they just can't part with it. And you see how they'll, you know, my son Evan has a frog. And in preschool, this frog went missing. And it became this big thing. The preschool teachers drew a picture of the frog missing, had it posted all over the, uh, the school. You know, we gotta find this frog. And Evans, where's my frog? You know, it was devastating. But I mean, if you look at the frog, the eyes are all worn off. It's beat, it's worn, it's torn. And uh, you know, I liken that to my love of the book of Romans. I'm one of those guys that just cannot part with the Bible. I know it's just printed word, but I just cannot take myself to put it in the trash. So from conversion to present, I've got pretty much every Bible I've ever owned. I mean, some have been left on the picnic table. They started off this thick, and they're like that thick now from being rain-soaked. Missing uh, pages. I have a bunch that, no bindings, no nothing, but, you know, there's notes in there and stuff that I see valuable, so... I keep them, but one thing that you would find in common if you went through every one of those on the shelf, you're gonna find that the book of Romans is gonna have more highlights, more notes, more wrinkled up, beat up, torn pages than any other book. That book of Romans has done a lot in my life. It's been huge in my whole Christian walk. So with that being said, I just wanna encourage you. This is an awesome series. We've got 16 sermons. And it's a great, great opportunity to get into the book of Romans. But I encourage you, don't stop here. Because uh, Pastor Walt and Pastor Dave have done a great job going through the book. But they'll be the first to tell you, 16 sermons is just scratching the surface of the wealth that's in this book. So I encourage you to take the time and dig into it. Make this just be the springboard for your study. Add it to your devotional Uh, reading, uh, Bible studies, what have you, I guarantee you'll be profited by studying the Book of Romans. So, with that being said, we're gonna pick up right where Pastor Walt left off last week. If you remember last week, he left us with the thought, the key to a successful relationship with God is choosing to believe him from beginning to end. That's a huge statement. You remember, he said that it's not enough to believe in God or to believe that there is a God, but to believe what God says. And that's where our salvation begins, is it not? It's when we finally come to the understanding that we are condemned, that we have no way, there's nothing we can do because of the fall of man, because of our sinful nature, there is no way we can please God except for having faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's been going through so far through the whole book of Romans. so far it's been justification by faith. We need to believe everything he says. And that's where we part ways a lot of times. How many times have you tried to share Christ with somebody and they say, well, I believe God. I believe there is a God. I believe in God. But I don't believe all that other stuff. Well, all that other stuff is God's Word. And this is what we need to be into. We need to get into God's Word. So I wanted to uh, start this morning by saying that we're going to enter into Romans chapter 12. Now, so far, Paul has really presented, you know, a case for salvation and that justification by faith. And we believe this and we accept this and... So now we accept Christ's free gift, we are saved, but then what? And now we kind of shift gears now. This is kind of the rubber meets the road part of Romans. This is where we get into Christian conduct. This is where all of a sudden some things are required of us. And it matters if we want to have that relationship with God. If we want to have the successful relationship with God, then we're required to do some stuff. And this is where it starts to get all fuzzy and gets a little crazy, because anytime we get added into the mix, there's trouble. So in the Christian faith, there is some assembly required. How many people love to see those words? Some assembly required. I have learned my lesson the hard way. I will never buy a gas grill in a box ever, ever, ever again. I have learned my lesson. I thought once, then I did it again, twice. So now I will buy, a, borrow a vehicle, whatever means it takes to go buy one of those already assembled grills because it's just a nuisance to put together and it never works. Ignite it never works. It's like ah. But when it comes to these words, some assembly required, and I love the warning. That's why I picked that slide. Um, there's generally three approaches taken. You have the person that will get the box, open up the box, take all the stuff out, take the directions, throw them off to the side, position that box just right, so that you can see the picture, and then you build it. Then there's another group of people that will open up the box, take all the stuff out, take the directions, start to build it, and say, ooh, I don't know, maybe look at their directions, refer to it a little bit, but primarily building according to the picture. And then there's those other people, which we hate, that will take the directions, and they will take the directions out of the box first, read them through, then take all the parts out, and then assemble the product. Now, throughout my life, I have been in all three of those situations. As a teenager, I was the guy that would just rip open the box and my mom would, you know, hey, can you put this together and look at the picture and, you know, put it together. And then, you know, through my Late teens, early twenties. Then I started realizing, well, you know, maybe I better look at the instructions a little bit, and started doing that. And then by the time I hit thirties, I realized that you know, there's something wrong with these other two methods. There's always leftover parts. It always seems to fall apart after a certain amount of time. It just doesn't work right unless you follow the directions and you put it together correctly. Now, the thing is, is that's okay when we're putting together a bookshelf or whatever, if it falls apart. Oh, well, whatever. But one of the things that Paul had been dealing with is people not following the instructions and putting things together their way. They were looking at Christianity and drawing a picture in their minds of what it should like, what Pastor Walt just went through the last uh, three weeks The Jewish people, they had their own vision of what it should look like, and they tried to build their lives according to that. Paul said, no, no, no. You need to believe God, and by believing God, that means believe everything he says from beginning to end and following his words. So we need to be careful as we, uh, you know, become Christians and we start to follow Christ that we follow what he says and not what we picture it should look like. We shouldn't emulate people. A lot of times we'll have a look up to a pastor or somebody else in the church and we'll try to be like them. And that will get you so far for a little bit of time, but in reality, you're always gonna fall short. The only way to have that successful relationship is to follow the directions which God gives us. So let's take some time and let's see what God has for us. We'll see what directions he has for us today. Let's look in the book of Romans. Chapter 12, uh, verses one and two, it is uh, page 1305. We encourage you to uh, use a pew Bible. They should be located under your chairs if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, It's page 1305. Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I Want to just say one other thing um, by way of introduction. Um, I haven't flown an airplane in in an airplane in probably 20 years, but I'm assuming it's the same thing. Anytime you get in an airplane, you know, they they do that same routine. They start taxiing down the runway, and the stewardess comes out, and the stewardess will start saying, this is the seatbelt. This is how the seatbelt works. Um, You know, in the case of an emergency, oxygen masks are going to come down, and, you know, the exits are here and here. And you can tell the first-time flyers, they're like this. Whoa, where's the exit? Where's that? And the people that have been on the plane and you know, have flown thousands of times, they don't even know that it's going on. They're looking, they're reading. They're, you know, they're off in la-la land because they know the information. Now, this is a very, very popular and very well-known scripture. So it's very easy for us as Christians to kind of tune out like, well, I know that. I've heard that before. But you know, it's okay on an airplane, but with God's word, we should never do that. We need to really focus. And even though you may have heard this scripture preached 50 times or more in your life, and you just know it back and forth, I encourage you just to let God speak to you today, because he can always show us something new through his word. So let's begin. All right. So uh, in our text, let's kind of break it down. We're going to take an inventory of all our parts here of what we got and, and put together this uh, relationship with God. So we start off, I want to start right off in verse one with the word therefore. Uh, Pastor Waltz mentioned many times that one of the key elements to Bible study to getting things right is context. And anytime we come across that word therefore, um, it's important to find out what it's there for. What is Paul talking about? What was he previously saying? Now, uh, in this case in our text, uh, this is actually the fourth Therefore, that Paul has come across in the book of Romans. Um, if you look with me, let's just uh, go back a little bit, turn back a few pages to Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. So Paul, in the first three chapters of the book, was explaining that, you know, listen, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a Jew, we are all condemned. He explained that there was, you know, the, that the law was not going to get anybody to heaven. There was nothing that they could do to get there except for faith in Jesus Christ, that justification by faith. And he says in verse 20, he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, if you would, turn over with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 20. I'm sorry, uh, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> so then he presents to them. He, he, it, when Paul uses the words therefore, uh, a lot of times it's kind of like a summary. It's almost like he's building a case and then when he hits a therefore, it's, he's summarizing what he has told them, okay? So he had explained to them that, uh, that they were condemned, and he says, therefore, there's no, you know, that, uh, that there's no justification uh, by the law. And then he goes on in verse five, uh, chapter five, verse one, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, driving that home, uh, the thought of justification by faith. Then turn, if you will, over to Romans uh, 8, chapter eight, verse one. He says here, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And what that is, it's the therefore of assurance, if you will, he says, listen, no matter what, you gotta understand that once you accept this gift that Jesus has given you, and you are justified by faith, there is no condemnation. And, uh, and that's a huge thing that's, that the Jewish people were still wanting to add works to it. They still thought they had to do stuff. And he says, as far as salvation goes, no. You have full assurance. And then he brings us over to here, back to chapter 12. And uh, we're back in chapter 12, verse one. So that's just a little background to see what, where we are. Okay, so he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word beseech is interesting, it's an urging. He says, I urge you, I exhort you, I encourage you. But uh, in the Greek language, it's a lot different than the English. They have a lot more, you know, a lot of times it'll take a whole bunch of English words to try to define one Greek word because of all different tenses and moods and things that they have. And a lot of times, things are in the imperative tense where it's, you have to do this. It's almost like a command from God. And I find it interesting that here, this is not a command. This is an urging. This is, you know, guys, come on, you really should do this. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, talking to Christians, um, that you therefore, by the mercies of God, that's everything that we've seen so far, um, you know, God is merciful that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word present here means to, uh, to present, to give somebody, to place, uh, place at one's disposal. It's, a, uh, it's in a tense to suggest it's a one-time action. It's something that we do continually and we don't take it back. Um, and bodies is just that. It's our bodies. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now's where it starts to get a little scary, sacrifice. I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to mind when I think sacrifice is I think uh, the Old Testament sacrifices, where they would bring the animal to the altar, they would present it to the priest, and the throat would be slit, because of the need for blood, and then it would be put on the altar, it would be burnt. Um, But it was blood and death were a requirement. But that all changed when Jesus came. There was no longer that requirement anymore. It was that justification by, by faith that Paul was driving home to us. But see, what Paul's asking here is not for a dead sacrifice. He's asking for a living sacrifice. He's asking us to present our bodies to him. And that's interesting because, you know, we, we can look at that in a couple different ways. We could look at it like, okay, well here it is. You know, I, I knew there was a catch. I accepted Christ as savior, but now all of a sudden, I've got to put my body on the altar. He wants this from me. He wants that from me. You know, it, you could look at it in that perspective, and that's damaging and, and not a good way to look at it. I prefer to look at it as like, wow, God wants to use me. See, what we miss a lot of times is we are the church. This church building is not the church. We are the church. When we accept Christ as Savior, we are indwelt with the Holy with the Holy Spirit, and at that point on, we are to uh, grow and be more like Christ, and he uses us. And, and, you know, we're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the God who spoke everything into existence, the God who created everything that you can see, the God who was so merciful that he sent his only begotten Son to die on our cross for our sins. You know, he could have used any method possible to reach others or to do his work, but he chose to use us. He chose to use me. He chose to use you. And that's a huge thing. That's awesome that God would want to use us. But, you know, you, you think, well, boy, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel too worthy. I don't think that God could use me. You know, I'm just me, you know. It, but look what Paul says next. He says, uh, to present your... Bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The scriptures tell us that the minute we accept Christ as Savior, we are then indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And at that point, right away, we are pronounced holy. And a lot of times we look at salvation as this thing that just happened or becoming holy as this thing that just happened, but it's actually a process. Salvation is the process where the minute you accept Christ, you are saved. But then there's a lot of time between this to when we're home in heaven with God. And then during that period, we are being saved. And then eventually we go home to glory and we have been saved. And sanctification is the same thing. The word holy means to be consecrated, set apart. Um, And that's the sanctification process that we see. Um, Sanctification is the process by which we're made holy. See, we're pronounced holy upon salvation, but then by surrendering ourselves to God, presenting ourselves as that living sacrifice, we become closer with God. Christianity is not a religion, it's relationship, right? And that's why this relationship with God is so important. And what happens is, is the sanctification process, we become more and more sanctified as we go through. So it's the same aspect of salvation where we are sanctified, we are made holy as soon as we accept Christ as Savior, but then we are becoming more and more holy as we live our lives, and then eventually we're in our glorified state. And that's one of the three things that Pastor Walt says we do around here all the time. It's surrender to the Lord, it's to uh, grow to be more like the Lord. And it is uh, tell others about the Lord. And these three things we can see right here in this text. We start with surrendering, putting ourselves on the altar, saying, God, use me. I'm here, what, what do you wanna do? What, what, am I, what, what will you have me do? What's your will for my life? And we just surrender ourselves and we go whichever way he leads. And by doing that, now we become more and more Christ-like. And then we go on from there to tell others about the Lord. And the the Apostle Paul is going to deal with a whole other uh, lot of things. And even in chapter 12, he does as well. But it starts with this. If our relationship's not right with God, anything else that we try to do beyond that, we're going to be struggling with. So, what's the difficulty? It seems to. Uh, then he goes on. I'm sorry. One more thing. He says that uh, this is your reasonable service. The word "reasonable" is where we get our word "logical" from, and "service" uh, is has to do with uh, tied with old worship services and things like that. So, basically, what he's saying. You'll see a lot of other Bible translations will. Uh, Will translate this as your spiritual worship um, or your your uh, spiritual service, and what I see is it's Paul saying it's your reasonable worship. By surrendering ourselves, we are worshiping God. We are being grateful for everything that He's done for us. You know, all those other chapters—the justification by faith, the sending His Son to be the propitiation for our sins and all the things that he's done for us, the mercies of God, because of those, we are to surrender ourselves a living sacrifice. And remember before, at the beginning, I said, I, with beseech you, it's an urging, it's not a command. See, God doesn't want a bridled sacrifice. He doesn't want us to go kicking and screaming. He wants us to be willing You know, God can use other people. He can do whatever. You know, we have free will to do whatever. But if we want to worship him fully, then it comes with that surrendering. But why is it so difficult? Because we think. And sometimes our thinking is not always correct, right? A lot of times we think more about what we need, you know, we think about the bodies and we're like, boy, I don't want this body to be cold. I don't want this body to be hungry. I don't want this body to have this. I want this body to look good and blah da 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 And, we, you know, we start being more focused on things than surrender. So let's look at verse two. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word "conformed" means to fashion or to shape. Literally, means to be molded. Paul says we are not to conform to this world. This is one of the biggest problems that Paul had had when he's writing his letters to uh, to these churches. Was they they started off all on the right track, but they kept bringing in outside influences. Other things that weren't of God. They started adding these things into the worship service. And that's what a lot of the things are into the church. And a, a lot of these things that he's trying to correct is that. He's trying to separate that and just say, listen, you need to follow God's instructions, not the world's. You know, how do you know what's of the world and what's of God? Well, I mean, take the Bible into work with you. And, uh... Tell your boss, well, I can't do that because of this, or I can't do this because the Bible says that. You know, the, the world doesn't want to hear that in a lot of places. You know, they have their own ideals, their own influences, their own morality. Um, one of the biggest things is morality. You know, if you walk outside the doors of the church and you're subject to the world, how, do, how does the world decide what is moral and what isn't? We take a vote. Well, we all believe that this is okay and we all believe that this isn't and whoever votes the highest, that's basically where they land their morality scale. With God's word, there's an absolute morality. There's absolutes in this Bible. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we're focused on them. And we do this by the transformation that word uh, transformed has to do with metamorphosis, like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. That's what happens to us when we accept Christ as Savior. We, we change, we're transformed. All of a sudden, there's a new way of thinking. We think things differently. We see things differently, at least we should. I remember when I first got saved, it was you know kind of like somebody flipped that light switch. All of a sudden, things that I thought and things that I saw before were completely different. I looked at them in a different light, I looked at them under God's light. And that's what Paul's saying, he's saying, don't be conformed, don't take the world's views and all the things that they have to say, focus on God's word, follow his instructions for your life. Then he goes on to say uh, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's awesome. So what Paul's saying is by doing all these things, you'll be able to prove God's will. Now it's funny how we look at God's will. I think a lot of times we take God's will and we make it into this big, mysterious, hard to find thing. It's, you know, we're begging and pleading, God, please show me your will. And we think like it's hidden in a cave in the middle of nowhere in a safe that we gotta find the combination to to figure out what is God's will for my life. But actually, it's not like that. It's by doing and following the instructions and living in God's will, it's always a lot easier to find out what God's will is for your life. Have you ever come across those people that just seem to always know what God's will is? They're like, well, yep, God will, God's will for my life is to do this and I'm gonna do that. And, you know, and you're just marveling and you're like, well, how do you know? they are like, well, God showed me, and God told me, and you're amazed by it sometimes. I know I've been there before. But this is the way I look at God's will. Let's take, I'll put myself as the guinea pig, okay? So we have a graph. So on the bottom of the graph, we have conversion. And on the top of the graph, we have our home in heaven. And as we're going up the graph, we're becoming more and more and more Christ-like, Correct? So what happens is if you took a graph of Rick Benjamin's life, you'll see that conversion, is be this big shoot up. Okay, but then all of a sudden, because when I first got saved, boy, I was on fire and I was, you know, doing everything that I could to learn and to grow in the Lord. And then after a while, all of a sudden, you know, life takes over and you start going this way. You start plateauing and then it's up, and if you look at a picture, it'd be kind of like this, up and down, because these times where it's flat is where I'm not really surrendering to God, and I'm not focusing God, and I'm starting to do things my own way. I'm starting to build that, assemble that box without looking at the directions. I'm just doing the things that are being, you know, that I think are right. And next thing you know, it's like, well, I can't, you know, go to church today. I got work. I got this. You know, life has taken over. This has got so hard. Um, you know, we start focusing away from God, focusing on ourselves and our needs. And we could be doing all the right things, too. It could be, well, look, I've got to prepare a sermon. I've got to go teach Sunday school. I've got to go practice for the worship band. I've got to go clean the church. I've got to go do this. I've got to do that. Then all of a sudden, you find yourself over here somewhere, and you're, all of a sudden, you realize, where am I? God, what's your will? Where should I be? Well, see, God's will is way over here. God's will is back where He says, put slot A into uh, tab A into slot B and use this bolt or that. Or where He says, I beseech you, brethren, present your lives a living sacrifice. See, God's will is that we follow his directions. And when we're doing things this way, we're doing them on our own steam. We're not using that power of God. See, God will work through us if we allow him to. That's the whole point of us surrendering is to allow God to use us for his purpose. So, you know, we need to, to just continue that way. Um, so with, with that being said... Um, I was looking to try to find the key point. I had met with Pastor Walt uh, earlier this week, and he was showing me all the dynamics of the uh, slides and how everything works and where to stand, where not to stand. And uh, <clears throat> I was kind of sharing my sermon notes with him just to you know, make sure we're all on the same page because I'm jumping into a study that I've been going through. And he asked me a question. He said, you know, what is the main thing that you wanna present. If they were to take away one thing, what would it be? And of course, I started preaching my sermon all over again. Well, this is the first thing and that thing, and he goes, no, he goes, you really wanna narrow it down to one thing. What would that one thing be? And I started thinking about it, and I spent a little more time here and was going over my notes and trying to figure out, you know, what is that one thing? And then uh, I left here, I right, ran some errands, I went grocery shopping, and, uh, and I just continued through my day and I got home and I opened up Facebook just to decompress a little bit and Pastor Walt had sent a message. And uh, in that message, he was talking about the parking lot and that he met with everybody and it was all set and it was a go and he was thanking everybody that had helped And he made a statement that probably went right over everybody's heads and probably would have went over mine too if I wasn't keyed in and and looking for something. And he said that there is no limit to what God can do through us if we're willing to let him. And that really is the whole point of this whole thing. See, Pastor Walt's on vacation and he's still preaching to you. But that's it, you know. Yeah, we're saved no matter what. We have that assurance that Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus to those that are in Christ Jesus, but we're required to do stuff. And our requirement is to grow that relationship more with God and by doing that, it's by surrendering and paying attention and believing his word and growing to be more like the Lord and telling others about the Lord. And when we don't do that, and we start to do things on our own steam, and we don't pay attention to what God's instructions are, and we start doing them our own way, then all we're doing is limiting what can be done. See, there's no limit to what God can do through us if we're willing to let him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for the opportunity to share your word, Father, and I just pray that you would guide and direct all of our hearts and, and help us to, to follow these simple instructions, that we would just surrender our lives to you and allow you to work through us, that we would be that living sacrifice, the unbridled sacrifice that you asked for, the, the willing and, and, and doing it out of worship and love with the right heart, Father. And we pray that if we do that, that you would use us mightily That we would be the light in this world. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone.